Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, Clay speaks with Associate Director of the IEH and Professor of Asian American Literature, Jennifer Ho. In their conversation, Dr. Ho talks about the 30 for 30 campaign, encouraging IEH faculty fellows to help support future fellowships. She also talks about the challenges and rewards of her current writing projects. I want to start by asking you about the 30 for 30 initiative the Institute for the Arts and Humanities has reached its 30th anniversary, and we're looking for ways to endow our signature program, the Faculty Fellowship. And you came up with this great idea. Can you talk about that? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I think anniversaries are important to celebrate, and there's something about the marker of decades that I think is also significant. And so you know, when it was when it when it dawned on me that it was going to be our 30th anniversary, right, of the Institute, and thus roughly 30 years that we have had faculty coming together under the auspices of the arts and humanities. I'm not sure they were called exactly the IAH at the very, very beginning, when it was just six faculty members around a table brown bagging it. <laughs> but certainly that was the that was the germination of where we are now as the Institute for the Arts and Humanities. So I think it's important to mark that. And really, this was an institute that was developed and founded by faculty for faculty. And it's one of the things that makes us unique among humanities institutes is that our mission statement is really clear in our support of faculty. And it's not that we don't value and appreciate teaching and our students, because absolutely, any university professor knows we are here in service to the students. And certainly we at UNC know that we are here in service to the citizens of North Carolina. But I actually think that means that the work that the Institute does in recognizing the scholarship that faculty do is so important because it's certainly one of the few places I feel as a faculty member that I can come meet faculty from a variety of departments and disciplines and be appreciated for my research, not just for my teaching or my service or other components that comprise my life as a professor. I probably was subliminally influenced, I suppose, by, I think there's an ESPN series, I found this out later, called oh, 30 yes. for 30. Yes, there is. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, Oh, is that why I kept thinking it was such a catchy title? <laughs> but, you know, 30 for 30 is a very catchy title. And for this campaign, the idea is that we want every former faculty fellow to donate $30, $1 for every year that the IEH has been in existence. And certainly for people who can support the IEH more, we would encourage them to donate more than $30, let's say, in the amount of $300, you know, so just adding right. another zero. So I myself have donated $300 in the name, actually, of my grandmother, who recently oh. died in August. And I wanted a way, you know, I'd been thinking about a way to honor her, and I thought this was something that I, she'd be really appreciative of and proud of because I know she was always supportive of me in school and being a professor, and that was something that she was really proud of. So I really like the fact that I got to make this donation in her name. 
that's the other thing is we'd be really encouraging people to kind of think about their gifts both as a way to give back to the IEH, but also to, you know, this can honor somebody that is important to them in their life, but it's also a way of saying we support each other, right? So my gift, I feel, is supporting other faculty and their scholarship at UNC Chapel Hill. For those that don't know, talk a little bit about what what time for research looks like without a semester leave, such as the faculty fellowship. So for me, and I know everyone works differently, for me, the ability to know that I am not having to wear two different hats during a semester, right? The hat of being a teacher and the hat of the research agenda that I have, right? That I can actually take off one of those hats because the teaching hat during the semester, for those of us, particularly in humanities courses where we're teaching small courses, but they're writing intensive, that's a really big hat. That takes up a lot of my emotional, mental, intellectual energy. So the fact that I don't have to wear that hat, as well as I don't have to worry about service to my department. I, like many other tenured faculty members, especially those who are at full professor, we serve on a lot of committees, both in terms of our own students, our graduate students, but in terms of making the work of a department run. So the fact that I can take a semester off and not have to worry about service and not have to worry about teaching helps a lot because that allows me to really think capaciously about my research projects. So part of it is time. I mean, definitely the biggest thing is time, that I would have five unimpeded work days of being able to write. I count the, the day at the IEH, because it's really just a half day, so you can, even, you, know, you can write during a half day. But five days in which I know I can write. And more importantly, the mental space that has now been opened up for me to be able to write. So the semester that I was at the IEH last, I was really astounded at how productive I was. Mm -hmm. I was able to actually write two articles in addition to making progress on my second book manuscript. So I was able to write um, a full chapter, edit a chapter, and write two articles. And I'm not normally that productive. <laughs> I mean, that sounds amazing. And I was, you know, I was amazed at myself, but I think that's largely due to the mental space that opened up. By having that time, it's also due to the rigor of knowing I had to be accountable every week to the IEH. So I was actually not as productive the following, interestingly, right? I was not as productive the following semester because I didn't have the structure of coming once a week to the IEH. So there is something to be said about the structure of being a fellow and knowing that you're going to be having a really rich intellectual conversation with really smart colleagues around the table that I think was also really mentally stimulating. In the faculty fellowship program, the faculty that gather are from various disciplines. Mm -hmm. How important is that in, like you said, the accountability and also just getting ideas and, and being able to, to truly work at a research one university that expects that from faculty, expects output? I think like probably most academics, at least in the humanities, I will say, the richness in what we do is through multidisciplinary perspectives. So I'm an English professor. I was solidly trained in literary criticism, um, in being a literary scholar. But my ideas are not just contained to the pages of narrative, that I rely on a lot of outside scholarship written by scholars from a variety of disciplines. And my own work has really transformed, I will say, into more of a cultural studies lens, which necessarily is multidisciplinary. 
I think there are very few of us who are really so firmly entrenched in one single discipline that a lot of disciplines respond to, like art responds to narrative, history responds to anthropology. I mean, there are some that are inherently multidisciplinary. City and regional planning, for example, so the ability to be around smart people who are trained in their discipline but are also really open to multidisciplinary perspectives is great because, for example, in my second book that I was working on while I was at the Institute, I had a chapter that was kind of a history chapter. So to be able to rely on historians and their methodology and kind of talk to them about what I was doing, because I was taking kind of a new, this was a new project, it was sort of a leap, and thinking about, okay, here's how historians approach this question. And it doesn't mean that I have to be a historian, but it's helpful for me to kind of see how historians approach these kinds of intellectual questions and see what can be useful for me in their feedback of my project. So that made my project stronger because while it was not a quote-unquote history chapter because I'm not a historian and I don't want to, you know, ever take on the expertise of a field that I haven't been trained in, I can still use those tools respectfully and I can also be held accountable by actual historians who are going to tell me whether I'm getting it right or not. Right. And it's just nice to meet people in other departments. What are your research goals now and how has your experience as a fellow shaped your planning for it? My research goals now, this is the luxury of me having written three books and um, being a full professor. So I have two projects that are of a more personal nature that will be less traditional literary scholarship and more, in one case, I'm, I'm actually in the process of writing a memoir. So I guess you could say I'm actually producing literature makes me a little nervous saying that because it makes me feel self-aggrandizing to say I'm producing literature, right, as a literary scholar. But, uh, but I'm writing a memoir based on my, my status, I suppose, as someone who's had breast cancer. And I, I don't like to use the language of survivor because it feels like a binary. Like we talk, about we talk about people who are victims of breast cancer and then we talk about survivors, right? Yes. And then implicitly, if you die from breast cancer, then what are you? What are you, right? right. Are you a loser? That seems horrible. Yeah. And, yeah. The language is lacking there. Exactly. And that's partly what my memoir really wants to investigate. So it will be a memoir, but it will be probably a academic-y kind of memoir investigating breast cancer culture. So really taking on the critique of the pink ribbon, for example, and then also charting my fertility issues because my husband and I were trying to get pregnant at the time of my diagnosis. We also had a failed adoption that happened afterwards. So there's a lot of my own identity as a woman and notions of nuclear family, heteronormativity that I'll also be critiquing and thinking through in this memoir. So that's one project. And then the other project is a, what I'm calling a critical family autobiography. So I want to write about my Chinese Jamaican family and how they came from Hong Kong to Jamaica to North America. I'm not really sure if that's a real genre, a critical family autobiography. Can you actually have a family autobiography? Can you have a group autobiography? Especially with family members who I know don't want me to tell certain tales. I bet. Yeah, so there are things, even 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 in this audience, because I doubt anyone knows my 
large, extensive Chinese Jamaican family. But are, it makes me nervous enough to think if they find out that I'm writing this, I know I have a lot of family who will not want me to share these stories. So that project I'm going to write, but I don't know about whether I'm going to publish it. It's weird to think I'm writing something that I don't know will get published. I wish you well on that. Thank you. I oh, wait, I didn't really address the question of how the... Yes. Sorry. So the, the question of how the Institute has sort of shaped my understanding of my research projects. I mean, I think part of what working at the Institute for Arts and Humanities has done for me, both now formally in my role as associate director, but also from my two times when I was a fellow, is made me really, again, see, I feel like I'm kind of banging this drum, but really see the multidisciplinary richness and the ability to take risks. So it seems so arrogant to say I'm writing a memoir, right? I feel too young and not very interesting. Why, like, who am I to write a memoir? But I would say from the conversations I've had around the table and from talking to other fellows, I know that I have a narrative to share. And I think that that's given me confidence as a writer. Part of being a fellow is being affirmed by other really smart people that the things I have to say are important and there is an audience for them. And so certainly confidence is something I've definitely taken away being a fellow, but also to realize that I can also take a stretch and move in different disciplinary directions. I think it's interesting that someone who's published three books would question <laughs> whether they have a narrative to share. But, um, but it also, it helps those of us who are thinking about writing a book, um, right? Because sure. uh, that feeling, I guess, is there whether you write three books or you're about to write your first book. Well, and, and I think it's because I'm working in a different genre. So mm -hmm. I've written three academic works of literary scholarship and cultural criticism. And so I actually do feel confident writing a fourth book if that was, you know, in that vein, mm -hmm. right? But a memoir, that's, that's such a different beast. It's personal, right? right. I'm an oversharer, so it's feels okay for me. But even then, being an oversharer, like, I'm going to overshare a lot about my cancer and about fertility. And it's not just my story, it's also my husband's story. So I also want to be respectful and not sh overshare things that he doesn't want me to share, but also figure out how to tell the story I want to tell at the same time. So I feel like it's also threading certain ethical areas. So I think I am going to, I've been going back and forth about which I'm writing first, and I've been kind of writing both simultaneously. But I do think it probably would make sense for me to write the memoir first, because I think that it will help to work out certain ethical issues then, and then for me to go into the family autobiography. Excellent. Check back at ih.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can also find all our episodes of the podcast on our website as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.